We're going to go over to Romans 9, and the intent tonight is to finish up Romans chapter 9, so that the next opportunity we have, we can go to a new chapter. And um, so we, we, there's actually, there are several verses left, but as a whole, they, they work together to bring about a final conclusion to, uh, to the entire chapter, and, uh, and so we're, we're going to try to wrap that up here this evening. Um, we, we've gotten thus far all the way through verse number 24, and uh, in verse number 24, Paul has, uh, has gone through and um, presented uh, the assertion and proof that um, God has absolute sovereignty in, in his dealings with mankind. Uh, verse 14, all the way through verse number 24, um, it has dealt with uh, the, the question of is there unrighteous, unrighteousness with God because of, uh, of the fact that um, there's a statement that he'll um, show mercy to whom he'll show mercy, he'll and he'll give compassion to who he chooses to give compassion, but but um, and then of course uh, the statement of um, uh, Jacob have I lo- loved, but Esau have I hated, and oh well, great, so God picks favorites. So is there unrighteousness with God? Well, number one, no, God doesn't pick favorites. Um, again, we mentioned in the statement there, uh, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated, and e- even in looking at what he did with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, um, those things that we are seeing and what has been said and recorded are the results of the choices of mankind. Pharaoh chose to reject God and to fight against him. And so God said, I am going to harden his heart because I'm going to lift him up just for the fall. And in his fall, I, as God, will be exalted. So I'm going to raise him up into power, but he has already chosen. He wants nothing to do with me. So I'm going to raise him up in power just to prove through what happens through his life and the destruction that happens with him, his army, and everything he thinks he's in control of is going to be spread far and wide, and my name will be magnified because of what I do to Pharaoh. And we found that to be true, even as the children of Israel finally enter the promised land, and they are told that the entire city of Jericho, their heart uh, melted like wax within all the strong men, every single person, their hearts melted like wax because they had heard what God had done to Pharaoh and his armies. And here is the children of Israel, the one with a God that destroyed the mighty Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh couldn't stop him. And so God said what he was going to do, why he was going to do it, and it, it was performed exactly to the purpose that God had. And some would say, well, that's, that's not fair. And, and Paul even mentioned it. And the fact that, well, who, who can resist the will of God is going to be the question. 
well, if, if, if that's the case and God is sovereign, then who can resist the will of God? The, then why is he going to, going to condemn or why, why is he going to look at fault when in the end, well, it's just his will, so I can't help it. And Paul, Paul answers all of that in the fact of, of God's sovereignty to, to deal with and handle mankind as he chooses. But God is not pick, does not pick and choose whom he favors so as to give salvation to. God has already predetermined the, the, the resource of salvation and God already knows the heart and the mind and the attitude and actions that man has predetermined. And when man rejects God, God has already determined, based on your decision, I've already decided whether or not I will show mercy and whether or not I, I, will, I will show grace and whether or not I will show compassion. And, and he said, listen, I have the right to set in place what brings about my mercy and grace and compassion and what is not deserving of it. And, uh, and so God designed that. God laid it out. And may I remind you, when he said, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated, that is not God speaking before they were even born. That is a statement concerning the life and the actions of Jacob and Esau. What Jacob has done and what Jacob has chosen, Jacob have I loved, and what Esau has done and what Esau has chosen, Esau have I hated. It's not the individuals, it's their choices and their actions. The sin or the choice to follow in faith. And so uh, we, we understand God is sovereign. He has the right. And by the way, um, even if it was that God chose and God was to put together um, uh, how he was going to operate, what is the creation that we should have the supposed right to speak at the creator and say, what have you done? Who am I to say, what do you think you're doing, God? He's the creator. I'm the one created. The clay doesn't have the right to look at the potter and say, well, that's not fair. The potter is the one who molds, and the potter is the one who fashions um, may I say that the imperfection in this clay is the fault of this clay, not of the potter. And so we've looked at that, and, and I'm, I, I've got I've to jump into our, our last little part here. But we, we got all the way down to verse uh, number 24, and we stopped there because the next segment begins in verse 25. There's two more segments here in breaking down chapter 9, you have verse 25 to verse 29, and then you have verse 30 to the end of the chapter, verse 33. And uh, in these two segments, it kind of rounds out and wraps up all that Paul is, is really beginning to, to, to dive into here in the understanding of how is it that, uh, that there would be Gentiles given uh, the, the righteousness of God and yet there would be Israelites who would be refused forgiveness and righteousness. How is it that Gentiles could be called the children of God, and yet there are Israelites who in the end would be declared not the children of God? How could that happen? 
And so Paul now begins to wrap everything up. Again, I can't go over everything we've already covered. If you want to see all the stuff we've already said and covered, go back to the archives and watch them. Uh, it is there for you. But um, the, as he rounds out and he closes here in verse number 25, you could actually join in verse number 24 with it as Paul references... Um, well, verse number 23 as well. Verse number 23 says, and, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Oh, and actually, when you look at that, we often speak it as a statement, but yet when you look at the punctuation, it's a question mark. So, Here's how you could read verse number 24, and then you'll see it kind of, uh, kind of come together a little bit later as well. But he says, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? So it's a question. So Gentiles are included with Jews? How is this? So he goes into verse number 25, and he references Old Testament. What he's doing here in this segment, verse 25 to verse number 29, um, he, he's presenting how there is a rejection of, of Jews or, or of, of Israelites, uh, while at the same time there is an accepting of Gentiles. And the fact that these two things are not just a new concept, these are actually foretold in the Old Testament that would happen. Uh, and he mentions, first of all, uh, that it's foretold by Hosea. And if you, well, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to, if you want to go there, go there. Hosea chapter 2 um, is the first reference. Would have been good if I actually marked it in my Bible. Hosea is one of those, uh, those fun ones to find. Hosea Joel, there it is. Hosea Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Joel, Namak, and Nahum, Habakkuk. Okay. There it is. All right. Hosea chapter 2 and uh, in verse 20 through verse number uh, 23, which is the end of the chapter, it says, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. By the way, Hosea is the book that's one of the saddest books of the Bible. Um, Hosea being a, a prophet, Hosea being a man of God, and yet um, he, he marries a harlot and he marries one that they're married. They seem to have a, a, a good relationship, but then um, she ends up um, um, being unfaithful to him, ends up going back to, uh, as the Bible talks about, her whoredoms. Uh, and it is a picture of God uses the, the, the marriage and the issue between Hosea and his bride, and he points out to Israel, Israel, I betrothed thee, thee, Israel, you're my bride. Israel, you're the one I chose. And, and, and you're the one I wanted to make uh, of, of myself. And then you have now run from me. And you have now gone, gone away like the heathen and living like a wicked person. And, and here it is, you're supposed to be mine. And you're making yourself available to the entire world in ways in which you should not. You've turned your back on me. And so what Hosea goes through, God uses this entire process to show Israel, here's how you've treated me. And there's going to be a time frame in which I'm going to cut you off. 
going to be a time frame you're going you're gonna to have to answer the consequences of your choices because you've been unfaithful. And, uh, and so through this, though, Hosea, um, it, it tells of the Lord's speaking here of, of future things in reference to Israel and in reference to God's plan with Israel and with another group of people. But it goes on in verse number 20, it says, I, I will even betroth, uh, betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear uh, the corn and the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel and I will sow her unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy and I will say to them which were not my people thou art my people and they shall say thou art my God now through this we, we do know that Paul is teaching and saying that, yes, it's talking about Israel, of course, because God said, you know, at one point, matter of fact, I'll just take you over, Hosea chapter 1, verse number 10, um, the Bible says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. So what he's saying here is he's talking specifically about Israel. And then he's also, in, in chapter 2, mentioning that there is a people that were not of the people that will one day be of the people of God. So there's two different groups that are, that are being presented here, and we know that because Paul in Romans 9 is very specifically referencing the Old Testament prophecy of the tie between Israel and the Gentiles and how there will be those of Israel whom God said, you're no longer my people, and I am no longer your God. And there will come a point in the same place where they were told, you're no longer my people. In that same place, there will be those of Israel where God will say, ye are now my people. And I am your God. And, that, and yet there will be a group of people who were never of the house of Israel that will also be brought in. And there will also be said of them who were never the people, you are my people. Ye are mine. And they will say, you are our God. What he's saying, even Hosea, look in, in back, back in uh, Osi. Well, if you look with me in, in um, Romans there, chapter 9, read, uh, read with me as we look at um, those verses there, verse number 25 and verse number 26. Uh, the Bible says, and he, as he saith also in Osi, that's, that Osi is a reference to Hosea, okay? Uh, uh, and, and so, as, as it said here in O.C., I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So he is referencing the verses that we just looked at in uh, Hosea 
as, uh, as it was saying, for those of the children of Israel whom God said, you have forsaken me, you are no longer my people. It was not for a permanency, it was for a temporary time that you, I will no longer be your God, you are not my people, you are going to be cast to yourselves, and you're going to be let to, be, to, to figure it out on your own, but I will eventually, I will be drawing you back, and there will come a time when those of the house of Israel can once again be called my people, but with them there will be people of another house that were never part of the nation of Israel, that were never part of the promise given to the seed of Abraham, and yet they also will have an opportunity to be called the sons of the living God. And so Hosea foretold that you would have Israelites and Gentiles both at the same time considered and called of God and by him the people of God. Where does that come from? That comes from the work that Christ did on the cross to bring both promised seed and exiled heathen underneath the same promise, New Testament, the promise of a new covenant. That's Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is the old covenant. New Testament, new covenant. What is the new covenant? All who place their faith in Christ can be called a child of God, whether Jew or Gentile. And so Paul points out here that Hosea uh, mentions and foretells that there will be Jews rejected, but there will also be Jews accepted as well as Gentiles accepted of God. Then also in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10 I'm going to go over there as well. Uh, Isaiah is a little bit easier to find. Isaiah chapter 10 and uh, verse 20 through 23. It's mentioned here um, in the first reference given. Well, very quickly, if if you move to Isaiah, stay there. I'm going to read very quickly verse, um, the the next next few verses, verse number 27, 28, and 29. But um, it says in verse number 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth uh, had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. So he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Going over and looking at Isaiah 10, verse 20 through 23, here is the the first reference being made in those three verses. Uh, Verse number 20, it says, and it's uh, through verse number 23 of chapter 10, it says, and it came to pass uh, in that day that the remnant of Israel and such It shall come to pass, the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto uh, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption, 
uh, decreed shall overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. And so as a whole, there's Isaiah talking about a remnant of Israel that will return. Is it just a return to the place that God gave them in promise? No, it's dealing with a remnant that will return to true faith and following God. A remnant, though they be like the sands of the sea, there's only a remnant that's going to return. Only a few, may I say, even today. Uh, there are uh, very few, but there are some Jews that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not a very large number in comparison to the numbers they have of the nation of Israel, those who, who could claim to be of Israel, but it is a remnant. And my, may I say, there will be 144,000 in the judgment during the time of tribulation that will be sealed, and they will be witnesses preachers during the tribulation and they'll be of the house of Israel in the in comparison to the number of Israel they're but a remnant but they will return they will be faithful they will preach truth and uh, and there will be a drawing back and a by the way the entire purpose is to eventually have the entirety of the nation of Israel that remains at the end will completely return to God how many is that that's going to remain? Not sure. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there will be some, and they will be surviving by God's power of protection. But there will be a full return spiritually because of a remnant that starts returning piece by piece. Well, uh, moving on, Isaiah 1 and, and verse number 9, let me give you this, and then I'm going to go back to Romans. We're going to wrap it up. But Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 9, uh, this is where he references, except the Lord of hosts had left a seed. And so here's what it says, uh, specifically in Isaiah 1 and verse number 9. It says, except the Lord of hosts had left, us, uh, left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, uh, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. In other words, the, the remembrance and the evidence they ever existed is gone. And if the Lord of hosts had not left a remnant, Israel itself would have been much like Sodom and Gomorrah, a mere blimp in history that nobody can really find much evidence of. But God left a remnant. And God has left a hope to draw his people back to him. And so uh, here... Paul is, is focused and pointing out that it is foretold that there will be a remnant of the Jews, but he's letting them know, understand, just because you're a Jew, they're, they're, they're like the sands of the sea. The promise of the sands of the sea, God's promise will still be true, but it doesn't mean that those of the sands of the sea, the Jewish people, the Israelites, are all the children of God. The Bible specifically says uh, of that house, there is but a remnant. So who's the rest of them? He declares that it's the Gentiles. There's a remnant of Israel, and there's a whole other faction of people that are grafted in because of Christ. 
and because of faith. That's the last section right here. Um, The segment here, verse 30 through 33, I'll be quick with this. But he gives the explanation and true reason for the rejection of any Jewish individuals. How can this happen? Why would this happen? How could it be? Well, let me give you the final explanation of why a Jew would be rejected of God. And so he goes into verse number 30. What shall we say then? In other words, so what is our conclusion of all that we've discussed? He then looks at, uh, at two thoughts here. Gentiles gained righteousness through faith in verse 30. And Israel sought righteousness through the law and failed. Verse number 31. So verse number 30, what what shall we say then? So what, what is our conclusion here? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. The Gentiles weren't looking for it. Gentiles didn't know they needed it. They're lost in darkness. We dealt with that last Wednesday. They're they're lost in darkness, and yet to those who are in darkness, light has sprung up. They weren't seeking for it. They weren't necessarily wanting it. They weren't weren't, uh, uh, desirous of it or knowing they needed it, and yet light sprung up. And when light sprung up, they realized their need in that moment, and God brought hope to the Gentile, and the Gentile said, I'll accept it. And by faith, they believed of that which wasn't even of their household. By faith, they believed in the Jewish Messiah. And by faith, they have been granted forgiveness and righteousness by Almighty God. So what's the opposite Verse 31, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. They've worked, they've worked, they tried, they tried, they worked, they tried, they worked, they tried, and they've never got there. They've done a good job of making themselves whited sepulchers, but still full of dead men's bones. The most spiritual, quote-unquote, the most religious of all Israel is as empty as can be. Because no matter how hard they try, they are pursuing righteousness through the law. And the law was never meant to bring righteousness. It was to teach us of our unrighteousness and our failure. So that we would see that there's no hope in works. There's only hope in Christ. So he goes in the last two verses and he now gives the reason of it all. So that was the conclusion. Gentiles have gained righteousness through faith. Israel has sought righteousness through the law, but they failed. So what's the reason? Why did Israel not gain righteousness? So verse 32, he says, wherefore? Big question mark. How could this be? How is this even possible that Gentiles could could gain the righteousness of God and Israelites be rejected and not gain it? And here's his answer. 
because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. So in verse 32, he says the reason why Israel cannot gain righteousness in all that they've been taught to seek righteousness through, the reason Israel and there will be many Jews rejected of God and not called a true eternal child of God, while a Gentile is accepted, the reason for it is the Jew is trying to work his way to God's favor and the Gentile just trusts by faith in God's forgiveness. And the Jew, in trying to work through the law to gain God's favor, they applied works to righteousness, which does not mix. But then the last, here's the last piece he gives as to their biggest downfall. If you try to apply works to righteousness and your works are as filthy rags, they'll never account to righteousness. But here's where your biggest issue lies. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Verse 33, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Well, my, 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 who could that be? And it it gives you a little hint. And whosoever believeth on him. So the stumbling stone is not an it. It's a him. Well, who to him going to be? It has to be the only one who is the cornerstone of all things. And the cornerstone of the foundation of God's forgiveness and the imputed righteousness on an undeserving mankind, that cornerstone has become a stumbling stone for those of Israel who say, I'm not doing it that way. I've got the law. You'll die in your sins because you can't work your way to righteousness. Christ has been given. And for those who believe on him shall not be ashamed what he's saying is you are being taught by the religious crowd of the jews that to trust in christ is a shameful thing i'm telling you he is the cornerstone and he has become a stone of offense to those who don't want to accept him he is a stumbling stone and while they try to work their way through the law to gain righteousness they're tripping all over the only way to gain righteousness and they refuse they kick him aside here they kick him aside there they trip over him here they trip over him there but it's only by Christ can you receive righteousness through faith and the promise of God's forgiveness. That the very thing you're being taught would be a shame to you as a Jewish person if you place your faith and trust in him, you will not be ashamed because he is a stumbling stone. I'll put it this way. He is a stumbling stone to the foolish crowd that says you can work your way to God's favor. Because they want to do anything possible but trust Christ. Give me any way but Christ. Give me any option but Christ. May I say, 
we still have in this day and age, whether Jew or Gentile, people saying that. Give me any other way but that. Give me any other possibility but that. And Paul said, it's a stumbling stone. For those who refuse to accept Christ, he becomes the very thing they trip over. And they will fall flat on their face. And they will, they will die guilty while trying to earn themselves forgiveness. But if you'll place your faith in him, in him, there will be no shame. Well, powerful truth. As he begin, as he just again settles that Jews, there are some that will be rejected because they stumble over the truth instead of accept it. But there are Gentiles who have been grafted in and given righteousness, the righteousness of God and the forgiveness of God. Why? Because they weren't looking for it, but light sprung up. And when they saw it, they realized what they were missing. And they said, I'll accept him by faith. Plus nothing, minus nothing. Give me Jesus. What a powerful truth. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for...